Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents the conclusion of his teaching on healing for the brokenhearted. Well, today we are starting our fifth and final session on our series, Healing for the Brokenhearted. And if you remember in session three and four, we talked about one of the causes of a broken heart that's not normally associated with the topic of a broken heart. And that is this, dreams that once burn deeply in your heart seem lost or unfulfilled and your heart is broken. You got a dream in your heart that you know that God gave you, but the passage of time, the circumstances of life, or the mistakes that you've made have convinced you that God is not able to bring it to pass. Whether it's one of the reasons I just mentioned or a combination or all of the above. Your dreams seem lost and your heart is broken. Proverbs 13, 12, starting in the New Living Translation, captures this feeling, this sentiment so beautifully, so wonderfully. Proverbs 13, 12, New Living Translation says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Amen. I love the way the Good News translation says it. When hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. But a wish come true fills you with joy. Amen. One of the reasons your heart might be crushed is you feel like your dreams are lost forever. Amen. But Psalm 147 verse 3 in the New King James Version is kind of been our our main text And that is, whatever the cause of your broken heart, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and bind up your wounds. Amen. I like the way it says it there in the Hebrew. He heals the brokenhearted. That word there, brokenhearted, can mean he heals the crushed in heart and binds up their wounds. So if your heart is crushed because you feel like your dream is lost, he is here to heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. Amen. So we talked about in the last couple sessions, uh, dreams and reasons dreams seem lost to us. And I came up with four. Number one, it's been so long since you received your dream, it seems like time is running out. Number two, the circumstances of your life say there's no way your dream will ever come to pass. Number three, you tried to make things happen And the mistakes you made only made things worse. Number four, you missed it so badly that you believe there's no way to recover and your dream is lost forever. Amen. Not amen to believe in that, just amen that I read those without a glitch. Hallelujah. In session three, we talked about reason number one. In session four, we talked about reason number two. In this final session, we're going to talk about three and four, because I think you'll agree with me, they kind of go together. So I want to see the slide, the graphic that I came up with last night. As I read these, keep in mind, this guy's trying to get back on track, amen? You tried to make things happen, and the mistakes you made only made things worse. You missed it so badly that you believe there's no way to recover, and your dream is lost forever, there's no way to get back on track. But I'm telling you, there is a way to get back on track. Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. People say to me, 
Pastor Scott, there's no way. And I always say, there is a way. Jesus said, I am the way. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to lead off today, and we're going to pretty much camp there for the rest of this, this teaching. I want to camp on an example from the life of Moses. Amen. If you've heard of Moses, let me see your hand. I think everybody has. Amen. Even if you just saw the Ten Commandments, you know who Moses is. Acts chapter 7, verse 17 through 36. There's going to be a lot of scripture, but remember what I've said in the past. As I read this scripture, just consider this to be story time with Dr. Scott. Amen. It'll do you good to hear the word of God. Amen. And by the way, let me put in a little advertisement for Acts chapter 7. If you want a really good summary of the flow of Bible history, go and read Acts chapter 7. Most of it is the testimony of Stephen right before he was stoned where he recites the history of the Hebrew people right up until the time of Christ. So if you're having trouble following the flow of Bible history, I recommend that as you go through the Old Testament that you refer frequently to Acts chapter 7 and it will help you understand the flow of the Old Covenant. Amen? Hallelujah. So here we go, Acts 7 verse 17 through 36 in the New King James Version. But when the time of promise drew near which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Now, that's a little blind to us. Let me explain to you what they mean when they say telling them to expose their babies so they wouldn't live. What they're talking about literally is they were telling the people, the Hebrew people, you got to take your male babies and throw them in the Nile to be drowned or eaten by crocodiles. So exposed is kind of a mild word. What's that word you look for when you don't want to say something? What is that word? Somebody help me. It's a euphemism. Euphemism. Expose your babies means leave them to the elements so that they die. It's pretty sad. It was a sad time for the Hebrew people. So, if you remember from last week, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers and then thrown into an Egyptian dungeon, falsely accused. But out of his suffering, God exalted him, raised him up to be the prime minister of Egypt, second only in command to Pharaoh. And in a time of famine, he brought his entire family up from Israel to dwell where food was plentiful. The Bible says there was about 75 people that were all his relatives that came to Egypt and they grew and multiplied for 400 years until such time that the name of Joseph and his godly influence had been forgotten and a new Pharaoh rose up who felt threatened by the Israelites. This Pharaoh was so treacherous, as I said, that he ordered the Hebrew baby boys to be exposed, which meant to throw them in the Nile to be drowned or eaten by crocodiles. And now the time was drawing near that God was going to fulfill His promise to Abraham, their forefather, to bring them out 
into the land that God had promised them. Amen. So This is all background, so you'll understand what we're reading here. Verse 20. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Rather than throw him to the elements, his mother set him out in a waterproof basket on the Nile. So if anybody saw her doing this, I think she had plausible deniability. You said set him out, expose him. I'm putting him on the river. I'm exposing him to the elements. I'm just making sure he doesn't sink. Amen. But he floated around and he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter while she was bathing in the Nile. And she had compassion on the three-month-old baby and took that baby into her own house and raised him as her child. Now, she was a princess and she raised him as a prince. Amen. Verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So evidently, from the Scripture, we learn that Moses was raised as an Egyptian prince from three months old to the time he was 40 years old. So he was pretty ingrained in their culture. He was schooled in the culture and language and wisdom of Egypt. Josephus, the Jewish historian, even says that he was trained as a military commander and he led the armies of Egypt in a stunning victory over the Ethiopians. Amen. I think that's cool. As a former military officer, I like that. I can identify with Moses. But his stepmother must have been honest with him and said, Moses, you are raised as my prince, but I want you to know you were born a Hebrew slave. So he knew. And it came into his heart to go see what was going on with his people, to see how they were faring in Pharaoh's kingdom. Amen? So along with this knowledge that he was a Hebrew slave that grew up to be a prince, there must have been a growing realization on the inside of his heart that he was to be a deliverer of the people of God. Amen. It must have been in his heart because his, his actions betray what was in his heart. And because of that call that was in his heart, he wanted to see how his people were doing. So we pick it up at verse 24. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Now, you have to go to Exodus chapter 2 to find out he not only struck him down, he killed him and buried him in the sand, tried to hide his evil deed. Verse 25, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. That was an understatement. Evidently, Moses thought, because of his training, because of his military training, that he would be a military deliverer. It would be the kind of deliverer that goes in by his own hand and delivers people by force. He had the right calling, but the wrong method. 
Amen. The right calling, but evidently the wrong timing. Amen. He also thought that those he was sent to deliver would understand that he was sent to help them. That unfortunately was not the case. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Rutrow, as Astro used to say. What a mess. Not only was he rejected by the very people he was sent to help, now he's a murderer and the secret is out. It is a known thing. He was wrong on the method and I believe he was wrong on the timing. He tried to make things happen in his own strength, in his own timing, in his own wisdom, and he only made matters worse. Amen. And in my opinion, his actions actually set back the timing of God. And Moses had to flee into the land of Midian until the Pharaoh who swore he would kill him had died. All right, verse 29. When he heard the guy say, hey, I saw you kill the Egyptian. Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. The land of Midian is a desert region between Egypt and Israel. And if you want to read more detailed instruction or more detailed account of this season of Moses' life, you have to go to Exodus chapter 2, and I encourage you to do that. It's a good read. There's even a story in there about how Moses ended up at a well. And the daughters of Jethro, who was his eventual father-in-law, came to try and water their animals and there was a group of belligerent shepherds that tried to deny them water. And Moses, this time, rightly uses his military training. And the Bible says Moses took them all on and drove them away so that the daughters of Jethro could water themselves and water their animals. Why did he do that? Well, because he knew on the inside he was a deliverer. It was part of his DNA. It was part of what God called him to do. It was just natural for him to defend the defenseless and to come and try to alleviate the oppressed. So he saw some wrongdoing, some maidens trying to get water, these belligerent shepherds pushing them aside, saying our camels are going to get water and your livestock are not. And Moses said, I ain't putting up with that. I'm a deliverer. And he took care of the situation. Amen? Because it was in his heart to do so. Hallelujah. So I said all that to say this. The first lesson we can learn from the life of Moses is this. Even though he tried to make things happen and he missed it big, God did not withdraw his calling, his dream, from off of his life. Why? Well, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 in the New King James Version gives us a clue. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? It means they can't be taken back. It means once God gives them, He does not take them back regardless of your performance. 
So again I say, even though he missed it big, the call of a deliverer was still on his life. And his actions showed that. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 1.9, New King James Version. This is one of my favorite passages because I get to say, time When time began. Y'all know my space and time, guys, so I relish these moments. 2 Timothy 1.9, New King James Version says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Listen to this. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I wish there was like a science fiction echo to that, you know. Before time began. I will include that on the podcast, I promise. So getting back to Moses and getting back to his timeline. After spending 40 years as an Egyptian prince, he spent 40 years in exile as a shepherd. Now, The number 40 in the Bible is a number that's associated with testing, trial, preparation, and obedience. And during those 40 years on the backside of the desert, I can guarantee you that Moses had occasion to believe that he he had missed it so badly that he would never get back on track. He would never recover his dream of being a deliverer. How many know being a shepherd doesn't speak of delivering people. It's kind of like, feels lowly, you know. He's just a lowly shepherd on the backside of the desert. Nobody understands who I am or what my calling is. You know, I imagine over those 40 years, he pretty much put his dream on the shelf and said, you know what, God, if this is true in my life, if this is what you call me to be, then it's going to have to be by your doing uh, because right now, Uh, You parked me here, and I'm going to be a shepherd. And I believe the reason God parked him there was so that he could learn to hear and obey the voice of the Lord so that when the Lord said, it is time to move into your destiny, he would obey, and the timing would be God's and not his. Amen. Glory. Thank God most of us have not had to spend 40 years in the backside of the desert, okay? Glory. So that brings me to the second lesson we can learn from the life of Moses. Sometimes when we miss it big, God will park us somewhere where we can learn to hear his voice more clearly. As I said already, so that when the timing is right, when it is time to take a major step toward your destiny, you can instantly obey. Amen. And when we do it God's way, in God's timing, we'll always be victorious and our calling will be fulfilled. Verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
and Moses trembled and dared not look. Now, if you study it out in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, it says that when God saw Moses turn back to the burning bush, he spoke with an audible voice. So there was something significant about the turning back. Now, I just want to tell you, I watched a YouTube video last night of a plant species that emits gas. And if you hold an open flame to it, it'll actually flame up like a burning bush. But you got to keep the flame there for it to happen. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of people out there. I read uh, online last night that, that say this, what, this was what was going on. There's nothing supernatural. It's just that one of these plants that puts off gas. And I'm like, okay, so when Moses was going through the desert with a torch, and he went, hey, burning bush. I don't think so, or the Bible would have recorded it. Why am I not looking for a natural explanation? Because the scripture clearly states that it was an angel of the Lord that was causing this phenomenon. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So logically speaking, I have to conclude that Moses had seen a burning bush before, but he'd never seen a burning bush that was not consumed. <laughs> burning bush bush. I say it again. He had probably seen a burning bush before, but not one that was not consumed. And it got his attention, and he turned to look. And when he did, God spoke to him in an audible voice. And I promise you, it got his attention. Amen. Glory to God. I've had visions and dreams for over 30 years of my life, and God has spoken to me many times in my dreams. I've had dreams where I'll see a dream, and God will act as the narrator, and he'll tell me what every symbol means. So God has spoken to me in my dreams. But only one time in my entire life has God spoken to me in an audible voice while I was fully conscious, while I was awake. And that was the summer of 1991. God spoke an audible word to me. He said, the next significant event on your timeline will occur in October of 1996. Over five and a half years into the future, he told me about some things that were going to happen in my life. And I'm here to tell you, they played out exactly the way the Lord said that they would. It got my attention. So I can put myself in the feet of Moses and realize that this was an earth-shattering thing to him. It says he trembled and he was afraid. What do I learn from that? Evidently, this was the very first time that Moses had heard God speak to him in an audible voice. Amen. So that brings me to the third lesson we can learn from the life of Moses. And hear me out. So many times people glorify dreams and visions and supernatural events and, and they don't think about, you know, the inner knowing and the, the, the still small voice of the Lord and the, and the other ways that God speaks to us. The ways He speaks to us predominantly, we sort of set those to the side and pay more attention to visions and dreams. It ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. Again, that brings me to the third lesson we can learn from the life of Moses. You don't have to have a burning bush experience or hear an audible voice from God to know your calling. 
You don't. Remember, Moses knew on the inside he was called to be a deliverer before he had any supernatural events like this happen in his life. It's the same way with us. You'll know it in your knower what God has called you to do. And if a vision or a dream or an audible voice comes, it'll only come to confirm what you already know in your heart. Let's continue reading. Then the Lord said to him in an audible voice, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. At last, Moses was being told by God, it was time to take his dream off the shelf and head to Egypt and fulfill his destiny. What a glorious moment that must have been in the life of Moses. Forty years later, God says, take your dream off the shelf. It's time now to fulfill your destiny. Verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This scripture brings up the fourth lesson that we can learn from the life of Moses concerning our dreams, concerning our calling. Not everyone will accept the calling of God on your life. Many will reject you along the way and say things like, you're not called to do that. You're not good enough. You're not as good as so-and-so. You don't have what it takes. Your calling is something you have to know on the inside, regardless of whether anybody else agrees with it or not. you got to know that you know you're called to do whatever. And if, you, and if you really have a solid, close relationship with the Lord, no one will be able to dislodge that from your heart. You just know that's what you're called to do. Amen. Amen. But keep in mind, you may suffer rejection along the way, but you know what? We already talked about this. Just release those people who say those things to you. Release those people who think that about you and say, Lord, I release them, but I'm marching forward toward my destiny because I know what you call me to do. Amen. Is this speaking to anybody in here this morning? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 36, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So there's an end to the story. There's an end to the saga of Moses. And I want you to know, in spite of all his mistakes, Moses fulfilled the calling of God on his life. After 40 years as a prince of Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd on the backside of the desert. He spent 40 years fulfilling his destiny as the deliverer and shepherd of the nation of Israel. So our fifth and final lesson that we can learn from the life of Moses concerning our dreams, concerning our calling, is this. God already knows all the mistakes you're going to make. He knows all the wrong turns. All the times you will blow it. 
as you attempt to follow his plan for your life. And guess what? He's already factored them in ahead of time and can still bring your dream to pass if you'll learn from your mistakes and learn to hear and obey the voice of the Lord. So let me leave you this morning with a scripture that you've probably heard in the King James Version, but I'm going to give it to you in the the rascally message translation because I love the way it says it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 in the message translation says it like this. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go, He's the one who will keep you on track. Amen. Hallelujah. Slide with the guy on track. Awesome. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's teaching on healing for the brokenhearted. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 1030 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for Spirit-Filled Prayer. If you would like to learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. <music>